0: Welcome listeners to another episode of Listen, Learn and Love hosted by Richard Osler. Um, Just a personal note, as we go into 2024, I've felt impressed to focus in and only do LGBTQ focused podcasts. And while some of the other podcasts have been terrific and so helpful for our listeners, uh, my emotional gas tanks a little low and I need to cut back and find a sustainable way to keep the podcast going. So I'll probably do a solo podcast and talk more about that. Um, But this is the kind of podcast we're doing right now that I'm so glad we're doing, but it probably won't be the kind of podcast I'll be able to do in 2024. So I'm so glad that Jesse Markowitz um, emailed me and we get to get her story um, in the podcast series. It's a remarkable story. Welcome to the podcast, Jesse.
1: Thank you, Richard.
0: I will give you a bit of a bio. This isn't an LGBTQ podcast, but it's a terrific podcast. Jessie is a convert to the church. Um, She um, spent most of her life in Las Vegas and, like many wonderful people, has sort of been um, a victim and a survivor of really difficult situations. Her father was an alcoholic and died when he walked into traffic at age four. Her brother, who was a really helpful, um supporter her life died of suicide on Valentine's Day in February um, of 2017 she'll probably talk about that she's also a survivor of sexual abuse um, she'll talk about her connection with God loosely as a raised Catholic um, she found her husband um and they got married and and realized he was Jewish and they and she'll talk a little bit about that but then she'll talk about just Needing a savior in her life and um, finding the church and joining the church and her Jewish husband and her two biological children and have joined the church with her and they've been sealed in the St. George Temple. So I was so moved when Jesse sent me her email. This is a unique, brave story. And I think our joint prayer is that if you're walking a complicated road with complicated family issues and just feel darkness and no hope. And where's God in the complicated life I'm living? That Jesse's story will help you. She has walked really difficult roads, and is now, in obviously, a much better place. And I'm so grateful for her courage to share her story. And I just have a prayer in my heart that she'll be able to share. She's the things that she's prepared so thoughtfully and prayerfully for you, our listeners. Is that okay, Jesse, for an introduction?
1: That was wonderful. Thank you so much.
0: All right. You're on, Jesse.
1: Okay. Well, thank you again. I was I was so inspired to email you because this platform has really helped me learn a lot about my own story and um how to love other people and even how to love myself better and just really open my eyes to different concepts. So I'm just so grateful. Um, just like every story has many chapters, seasons and experiences that led up to that mold the person you become and continue to become throughout your life. I've learned um, it's often the most difficult seasons and tend to create the person that we're meant to become. Um, uh At least I've discovered that in my life. I had to experience extreme extreme pain that brought me to my knees and I no longer could physically, emotionally or mentally bear it to become humbled enough to receive the revelation I needed to learn um, that I do have a purpose on this earth. Um, For you to understand the listeners of what built up to my breaking point, I'll share with you important parts of my life that, um, was a foundation of a lot of the pain and suffering that I endured throughout that time of my life. Um, research shows that the first five years of your childhood, um, the experiences both positive and negative shape how your brain develops and therefore how you handle future experiences in life. And when I was four, as Richard mentioned, um, my father was was killed suddenly he was intoxicated with alcohol and walked out in oncoming traffic so from the age of 4 i learned that alcohol alters the mind and um which led to me to become very fascinated with the human behavior and how the brain works um this also just developed a lifelong fear of losing someone else that i love um my mom and dad were divorced when i died with um, so only four years of a relationship with my father and only on a part-time basis, I later questioned how I could love someone so much and so deeply without barely knowing him. That was a question that I I basically always asked God um throughout my life. I even remember lying awake in bed and just talking to God and saying, Why do I miss him so much? Why does this hurt so bad? Um, I even thought, why do I not get to have him walk down the aisle when I get married? Things like that. When I was little, I would think about, um, and I really didn't understand how the connection between families, um, that they're, they're actually eternal. And that's why I think I was so confused and just thought that, oh, well, he's not here. Why do I care about him so much still? (laughs) Um, and it frustrated me how much I loved him so much and barely knew him and, Would never see him again. And that was what was the hardest for me is the thought of never seeing him again. Um these questions are what built the fear of losing all my loved ones around me. I became obsessed with being close to my sisters. Um, I have two sisters that are twins, and they're six and a half years older than me. And so that gap was significant enough that at that time I was trying to do things that I shouldn't have, um, so young and be close just to be closer to them. My mom was my world. Um, I even slept in her bed till I was 11 because (laughs) she worked a lot. And so that was really the only time I got to see her is like, if I can just go to lay in bed and watch a movie with her and fall asleep, that was the time I, I was going to take it. Um, my older brother, Dennis, um, the, passed away uh he was eight years older than me and uh so my sisters actually moved out fairly early before they were 18 um with their boyfriends one's actually they're they're married now so that's a good thing (laughs) but um it left just my 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 brother myself and my mom in the household and because my mom worked so much um my brother and i got really close he was the only boy he um he was the oldest. So he took a lot of responsibility on when my brother, my father died, kind of like a father figure. And uh, he. So him and I kind of connected because I was a baby. I was the only one left in the house besides him. And we, it was just kind of us. And so we really connected in different ways. Um, the passing of my brother of my father, excuse me, my brother didn't take. Um, I think he took it the hardest me being only four. I really didn't process it as deeply, obviously to an extent, but, um, he blamed God. Um, we were raised in a Catholic family, not active, but, um, enough to know God. And, um, I never really got to know Jesus, um, because, we just never really practiced. So I just, all I knew is the guy hanging on the cross up there and I, it kind of creeped me out. And so I never really (laughs) knew what that was about. Um, but for some reason I did have a connection with heavenly father and that's what got me through a lot of the things that I went through in my life. Um, and it comforted me just, you know, to know that somebody was there to listen, I guess. Um, Dennis and my mom didn't communicate very well uh, because he was, uh, he kind of felt like he took on the husband as well. And so he just took on a lot of burdens that a young 12 year old kid probably shouldn't have, um, wanting to be like a father figure to me, a spouse and a, you know, to my, not, you know, in a sexual way, but, you know, in a, wanted to be the man of the house and help my mom and, make decisions and discipline me and, you know, whatever. And she let him do that because she was going through a lot, you know, raising four kids and working lots of jobs. So anyways, he was my big bro and, um, he ended up becoming my best friend, my mentor. He was the father figure. Um, he was the one that I was worried about if I got in trouble, <laughs> was <it> my mom. <laughs> and, um, it just was a lot on him. And, uh, he had a lot of anger issues and for, because of the loss of my father. And so he got a lot of trouble in high school and, um, just like every high school boy that are going through troubles, he dove into friends and sports and things like that. But, um, he didn't really have a, an outlet to talk about his, his feelings. And so, um, I seemed to be the only one that he could talk to. Um, during my teenage years, I made a lot of bad choices, <laughs> rebelling against what I knew was right and did the opposite of what was right and um, I know now it was because I wanted control. If I made a bad choice, it was because I decided to, not because it just happened like my father um being killed. I took advantage of that agency and started dating too early, becoming sexually active extremely too early. I found my th- myself thinking of... Every relationship was going to be the one, you know, like I was going to get married. And so I kind of pushed the relationship and made it intimate before it should be. And um, yet every time I got really close and serious, I would end up breaking up with the guy because I didn't want them to end up breaking up with me. I wanted to be in control. So I'd push that person away. Um, So I'd separate myself These are all things I didn't realize that I was doing until recently. Um, Despite all the bad decisions I was making, my brother's opinion of me was still important. Um, So when I dropped out of high school in my junior year, um, I told myself I was going to finish on a homeschool program, which was probably back then the first homeschool problem (laughs) online uh, out there. (laughs) Um, He made me realize that I was going to miss walking across the stage because my sisters both dropped out. He dropped out. Um, they got like a GED, but they didn't have the traditional, um, ceremony. And he kind of painted that picture for me and it made me go, you know what? I do want that. And it seems like he wants that for me. So I want to, I want to achieve that. And I did. Um, I still remember him calling out my name in the audience and mm-hmm. I was walking out, um, on stage and that feeling that he was proud of me. I'll never forget. Like, I felt like oh, I made my, my, my brother proud. Like I was, it was, it's a feeling that I'll, it, it just makes me so happy just the thought of it. Um, although I did complete that goal, I did go on to continue to make bad decisions, putting myself in the wrong places with the wrong people ended up being sexually assaulted by three different men, um, different times. Um, I'd never say it was my fault, but as I look back, I do understand that there were choices I made that led up to being in those situations that could have been avoided if I made better choices. Um, as you can imagine, those assaults caused tremendous trauma, which developed a lot of depression and anxiety, low self-esteem and a lot of trust issues. Uh, being that protector that my brother was deadness didn't take the assault well or salts excuse me plural um I remember him I had to plead with him to not do something that would put him in jail reminding him that he had a family to think of um however I know that also affected him as um traumatically as it did me making um I literally had to help him realize he was going through depression and anxiety himself because of it. And, um, obviously that was, uh, I put a lot of guilt on myself for that and he ended up having to get medicated and, um, all the things, um, that he developed all those additional challenges from my traumas. Um, fast forward, despite all those traumas that I went through, I, did meet my now husband and my brother got married as well. As I said, he had a family and things seemed to be great. Our kids played. Um, we had Christmas at each other's houses, all the wonderful memories that families make. Um, it, was, it was awesome. My brother and my husband got along. They're actually the same age. Um, and so they had a lot in common. Um, they're only a month apart. So kind of interesting. Um, but in 2012, Dennis was in a car accident. He had to go through several surgeries for his back, neck, and arms. He was prescribed prescription opioids. I think I said that right. Um, to manage the daily pain in his of his injuries. And, and it was about two years after his accident, he told our entire family that he's been addicted to the prescription drugs. And he had been in and out of rehab, which we didn't know um, several times, but apparently it wasn't working. So I was so proud of him to admit his struggle and ask for help. And he asked us to hold him accountable and help him with this difficult time, which obviously I wanted to, but, um, and I agreed in any way that I could, but unfortunately in that time, my life, I was caught up in my own challenges. I was still struggling with my own, um, just demons and also raising two small children with a husband in the air force that constantly left. And so I was struggling that way. And so time just would go by and i didn't see him and before i knew it you know years went by and it just got worse his addiction um he became he lost his job his marriage was struggling his children didn't want to be around him um his addiction made him hard to trust he lied all the time his temper became more violent and over time i honestly did not recognize him and in 2016 he had gone to jail for assaulting my mom. Um, he was on drugs, and he actually—I guess—he drank like a six-pack of beer on the way over to my mom's, and it just didn't turn out good. And um, he ended up in jail for thirty days. And in jail, he detoxed, and um, we basically gave him an ultimatum: the whole family that you know what—you either go to rehab, and I, I, while he was in in jail, I searched rehabs, like, how can I, where can we go? Something that's good, whatever. Um, His insurance didn't cover rehab because he had already detoxed, which made me sick <laughs> that, you know, somebody wants help. And, um, but I, I got him into a, a program in California that took him because he already was diagnosed with depression and anxiety. And so the insurance helped him that way, which was a relief and it actually helped him. He seemed to be, he came out and his spirit was up again. I felt like I he was my brother again. And um and uh it seemed like he was trying to get himself back on his feet. And so uh, but we gave him the ultimatum that if you don't go to rehab, you're gonna be homeless. Like we we can't do this anymore. We can't have, you know, we can't trust you in our homes. Um and so he did move in with my mom after the program and um He was telling everybody that he was looking for a job but couldn't find one. But, um, you know, the lies were still coming. And basically, he was sleeping in all day and staying up all night. And um, at that point, I honestly didn't feel comfortable with him anymore, even in my home. Um, He would start sleeping, like falling asleep during conversations. And so I just knew he was still somehow getting drugs again. And he was on drugs again. And it was just, I saw his soul literally slowly leaving his body. I'd look in his eyes and all I saw was black and emptiness and was just like a shell. It was so devastating to see. Um, I literally felt like I was looking at Satan and that's the only way I could, I could describe it. It was scary. It was literally scary looking at my own brother. Like I didn't know what he was going to do or say from one second to the the other. And it literally broke my heart. I didn't know how to help him. Um, And his wife, while he was in jail, back up a little bit, shared with me the extent of the things he would do to get drugs. And one day he basically threatened her that if he, she didn't hurt herself to go to the ER and get herself pills that he was going to hurt her and it's just I'm like this isn't my brother I don't know who this is and it just it was very hard to comprehend um but I had to it was reality like this is who he is I you know and so I I tended to separate myself from him I I one I couldn't handle seeing him that way but I didn't know how to help him and um my My sisters and my mom were like, you're the most together out of all of us. You've got the biggest house. You should take care of him, you know, whatever. And um, I just I just couldn't I I felt like I was the energy he gave off just scared me and I just couldn't be around him. Um, But one day I was walking out of Costco um, and I saw this booth. Um, from a church and it was recovering addicts who basically received Maruvu and board to stay at the church in exchange to go and basically bring people to their services outside of Costco and places like that. And I was like, oh my gosh, this is the answer. Maybe he needs to be surrounded by people that have, you know, dealt with these things. And, um, you know he needs God. He needs he needs faith. He needs something to look towards. And I called him so excited, like, oh my gosh, I have the answer, Dennis. This is so great because um, unfortunately he was living with my mom, and my mom and my stepdad were fighting a lot because my stepdad was like, your forty four year old son is just laying around our house and not getting a job, and you know, obviously it was understandable. He was getting frustrated, and so they were fighting, and I was just like he's not going to be able to stay there much longer. So I just felt like it was the answer to my prayers, I guess. And, um, and I called him, I didn't get the response that I was looking for. Um, he just said, I don't need God, Jessica. I'm, go- I'm not going to go live in a church with a bunch of druggies. And that's when I realized he really didn't know he had an, a problem. Like he was that gone. Um, the anger in his voice, the defensiveness, like I was crazy. It just broke my heart. And um, I started asking, well, what are you trying to do to get a job? And he, the truth came out. He said, I I have too much experience to go looking for a job. Nobody's going to hire me, but McDonald's and I'm not going to go backwards in life. And it just basically told me that he wasn't looking and he's not gonna. Um, And so I was just so disappointed. And I snapped and I said the most horrible thing to him. "Um, Don't ever talk to me again. You're dead. And I hung up on him. I don't know how and why those words came out of my mouth, but I guess it was how I was feeling. I felt like he just, he was gone. It wasn't him. He was, he was And I hate to say that anybody's that far gone that nobody is saved can be saved because I know that that is so true. But he didn't even want to turn to God, and that just broke my heart. I felt like his soul was literally gone, and Satan literally just had captured it. I, like I said, that like Satan was on the other side of the phone. It 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 just was devastating. Um, obviously he wasn't dead to me. He just, the person I knew and the person that I looked up to, and it was just so hard for me to process that I didn't know how to help him. Like I said, and, and, and so, but I did make a, I did make a, um, what's the word? I I did make sure that I go to, I went to talk to him and I, I apologized, I, you know, that is not what I meant. I I love you. I want to help you if there's anything I could do. And he just looked at me with his just empty eyes, but, and he did say, it's just hard, you know? And I said, yeah, like I did, but I didn't know how hard I didn't know what he was really going through. Um, he didn't, he didn't talk to anybody. He didn't share anything. He just kind of hibernated in um, his, in his room. And (sighs) so what I'm obviously um, Richard shared that he took his life by suicide in 2017. Um, I was awakened by a phone call by my sister, Dina, who lives in California and she was sobbing. I could barely understand her. I figured out that something was wrong, um, with Dennis when, you know, she just kept saying his name and I just, okay, obviously it's him. And so I rushed to my sister Rochelle's house who actually just, just within like a month took him into her apartment and, um, basically said, where's Dennis. And she's like, he's in his room. He said, goodnight to me earlier this evening and went to his room. What's going on. And so she's like, go find him. I just got a phone call from his longtime best friend that basically called him just to say goodbye. And um, she went looking for him. She couldn't find him. She went outside. She went back in. She went back into his room again. And um, unfortunately, when she turned around, she found him in his closet. Um, I'm obviously not going to go into too much detail, but just for the sake of my family and people that are suicide survivors, and it's hard to kind of relive that visual. Um, but I will say that that night I went numb. Um, everything about me checked out. I, my emotions, I, I I honestly, I feel like I was in a coma for about a year. I don't remember anything about that year. Um, it was just like the twilight zone. Um, the first week I couldn't even go home. I couldn't see my husband, I couldn't see my kids. I don't I mean, I may have been there longer at my mom's house. I stayed with her to support her, but it was hard for me to even look her in the eye. The thought of her losing a child and the thought of what that must feel like because of what I was feeling inside, I couldn't bear it. Um and so I just couldn't even process that feeling. And so I literally had a pain in my chest that felt like it was crushing the inside of me and it was hard to breathe. Um, I would stay up at night. My husband worked nights and I'd sob in the pillow. I'd scream in the pillow so my kids couldn't hear me just to let out trying to get rid of this physical pain that, you know, they say about a broken heart, like when people are devastated, something happens, you know, they died of a broken heart or whatever, but I literally felt it physically every day. And it was literally hard to breathe. And, um, I just checked out. I drive my kids to school and go home and go to sleep all day long. And that my husband didn't know that I didn't sleep at night because he wasn't there. And, um, suddenly the pain was just surfacing all the traumas of my life, all the insecurities, all the sins that I, in the past, um, all my fears, my entire life that I had, um, I started obsessing with watching TVs that had dark and evil content, like murderers. And I was just falling deep and deeper and deeper into a dark hole. And, um, I found myself so vulnerable to Satan that I literally started drinking to mask the pain. Um, I I was drinking like a six pack of wine coolers every night and thinking that that was okay, that that was normal. I literally remember thinking in my brain, like everybody else drinks. I guess this is why, because I never did because it scared me with my father dying my whole life. But I was like, Oh yeah, this makes things better. I get it. You know, um, it didn't take away the pain by any means. Um, but I realized I was doing what killed my father and trying to mask pain. Like my brother did. Um, but I didn't realize it until it was about a year. It was 8, May of 2018 and my eight year old daughter came up to me and said, mommy, do you, do you want a wine cooler? Cause she was so used to me having a wine cooler at night. And that just broke my heart. Um, and I was like, wow, I'm an alcoholic like my dad, something that I never in my, I told myself my whole life that I'd never touch alcohol because of that. Um, that night was the hardest night. I spent hours again screaming, sobbing, that my body literally gave out. I couldn't speak. I couldn't move. Um, when I finally got the energy, I walked to the middle of my room, which was pitch black, and dropped to my knees. I literally can still feel the pain in my knees because my body dropped so hard; it just went limp. Um the next thought went through my head was there's a gun in my husband's nightstand. I can just end this pain now. Um, No more pain, no more burden to my family and let them just move on. Um, Then I felt a, a little glimpse of love that I still had for my family that I hadn't been able to, feel for so long and I thought I can't do this to them then I turned my hands up to the ceiling and looked up and said God I need you I can't do this anymore without you and immediately I heard a whisper in my right of my ear you need my son And without skipping a beat, I accepted and I knew exactly what that meant. And that was the answer. And as I accepted, this wave of warmth went through my body and lifted that heart-wrenching pain from my chest that was suffocating me for over a year. And it was literally just gone. Like somebody just lifted a house off my chest. And I, I felt so light and relieved and from not being in pain that I literally just fell into a deep, deep sleep for until the next morning, just fell to the ground. um, Didn't even get up to go to bed or nothing, just woke up in the next morning. And the first thought was, I need to know who Jesus is. I need to know who this guy really is and what he did and how he was able to Help me because I know it's him that took this pain from me. Um, as I woke that morning, um, the world looked different to me. What mattered before my brother died no longer did. What mattered um, now or didn't did matter before. Um, or didn't matter suddenly did you know everything was just different and I felt like a child learning to walk again basically like how do I process the world now like I don't under I don't know what to do um I literally thought before my brother died I was on top of the world. I thought I had was at the best point of my life that I had a purpose that I was helping people and doing great things and achieving great things and that I had such a meaningful life but then suddenly all those things didn't matter anymore um. I knew I needed to learn of and follow and know Jesus to know what the true purpose was to continue this life here on this earth. (laughs) I knew that that was the answer. I just didn't know how and why. And, um, and I also needed, I knew I needed to honor my brother's life because he, he literally saved me. His, when he took his life and I went through what I did, Yes, it was the hardest part of my life, but it's like the life that I had before died, and I was able to be be reborn again. People say it is like a—they laugh when they say "born again Christians" or whatever. But I remember the feeling of coming out of the baptism, out of the water of the of of baptism, and feeling the weight of the world lifting off me—that I had been. Caring my whole life that I didn't know. Like I said, I thought I was happy. I thought that, um, that I knew God even, um, but it, I, I had no clue and so So, um, like I said, I wanted to back up that I shared with you guys earlier that when my brother told me he didn't need God, that broke my heart. um, I, I, it almost offended me that he denied him, but when I I realized that I stopped learning about God when my my father died, and and then I never seeked him when my brother died, so I did what my brother did: is I denied um, my heavenly Father's help, and I never knew of Christ because I denied him. As, as my savior, when I converted to Judaism, when I met my husband, he was Jewish and um, I had explored different uh, religions throughout my years and nothing really seemed right. Something always seemed kind of corrupt. And um, the thought that the Messiah had still not come to save the world made kind of sense to me after being sexually assaulted. And people were still committing treacherous sins. It just kind of made me, it was like a coping mechanism for me to say, well, um, okay, that makes sense. Because, you know, he didn't take sins away because people are still sinning. That was kind of the process that went in my brain. And so I didn't have an opportunity to truly know what the atonement of Jesus Christ represented, um, nor how to exercise it in my life until uh, I, I began to seek him. And this is why my, my brother and I suffered so much is because we didn't have a savior in our life to lift that, um, the weight of the world and carry those burdens with us that, cause my story isn't unlike other people's. So many people I, I listened to, they've, they've had, I can't imagine going through what they went through and, um. But with the Savior, we really can endure everything. It doesn't make it easier, but endurable. And um, before I knew how the atonement of Jesus Christ could heal me, I felt like I was being punished for the mistakes and the sins that I committed in the past, Um, which I know and I know now, I believe, was how Satan was able to get such tight hold on me um my brother and i both struggled with fear um trauma guilt um and then that emotional and mental physical pain just was easy access to just separate us from god and bring us into that darkness and um i honestly believe that that small relationship that i had still with god that kept me from going to that next step before um That I actually stopped and asked God, I know in my heart, that's what saved me and that heavenly father knew, knew me and knew my heart and that I didn't want to leave. And I did love my family and I did want to live. And so I know when I turned to him, he was just waiting for me. Um, I not only lost my brother that night, but I, like I said, I lost my best friend, my father figure, the person have always believed in me, pushed um, me to be better. And that deep fear of losing another loved one had come true. Um, however, it was like times four. And I also had a, a lifetime of a relationship with my brother, which was unlike my my father. And so it was intensified to that unbearable level. And I realized that now why my brother's death took so much um, of me, but it also weakened me to really start um, facing and surfacing all those pains of sexual assault and all the things that I would do to myself that basically I was self-sabotaging myself throughout my life. And in the the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, we talk a lot about um, each person has a light of Christ within us, and that we are all children of God, and how we can shine that light on others. And that light is what directed me to our church, where I found answers to questions that I struggled with my entire life, from learning, studying, and making the scriptures a guide to my daily life. I am so blessed that i during that dark time in my life i was still surrounded by people that shine that light of christ to me a light that i didn't see was there but um i still there was a glimpse and there was enough that kept me hanging from a string and those people were members of the church that um i worked with and so when i woke up that day i knew exactly who to call I didn't wonder, okay, what next? I said, Oh, I'm, I'm calling my friend Becca because she knows Christ. Like, I, 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 mean, that's all she talked about. You know, she thanked Christ for everything that she did. And whenever I would come to her as a mentor in business and ask for opinion, um, advice, she'd say, did you pray about it? And I'd get so upset, like, tell me the answer. And she's like, you need to pray about it. And I, 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 I admired her and I respected her. So I did it. And she helped me keep that little connection with God, um, which I'm so grateful for. So I just want to make sure that all of us know that there's a light in us that we may not see sometimes, but you, you can change somebody's life just by the smile, by testifying of Christ, of testifying of your he- heavenly father. And, um, I shared that I was, ma- I've been married for 17 and a half years. And before I was baptized and endowed and sealed in, into the, um, to my family and my husband, I can honestly say, I didn't know what it felt to be like to truly be loved and receive love. I always felt like it was under conditions and that's like i said that fear somebody was going to leave me something was going to happen to my children something was going to happen to my husband he was going to cheat on me and leave or and choose to leave me or something was going to happen to him physically so i was always just waiting for the good to be bad and i but i didn't know that i like i said i i thought i was happy but now I'm comfortable in my own skin. I am not thinking about, you know, am I, what do I look like? What do you know? Am I good enough? I, I really know what love feels like because I've accepted that love. And I felt that love from my heavenly father. And I chose my savior, even over my husband, when I thought he was going to, honestly divorced me when we told him I was going to start investigating the church. <laughs> and I think that commitment is what opened my husband's eyes as well. He saw a change in me. He saw the light turn on in my eyes and in my soul. And that's what opened his eyes as well and made him want to learn more. And we grew together and we were able to overcome so much together. Um I in January of this um this year, I started going to I I I learned a BYU pathway. And I have been prompted for many years to finish my degree in psychology for human and family services. And I told you I've always been fascinated with human behavior. And um the spirit told me, you know, you've got um you've got a story and you're going to be able to help people and, you know, you need to do this. And so I'm so grateful for that, but, um, well, I'll say, and not, but, um, when you're a part of BYU pathway, you are required to enroll into Institute. And, um, one of the classes it's a newer class and it's, uh, based on elder Anderson's book, the divine gift of forgiveness. And, um, this book helped me discover Discover how much I was still holding that I didn't even realize, even after baptism and all of this. And um, there was guilt. There was lots of guilt that I was holding. Um, could could I have helped my brother? Did I do something wrong? Did I cause him to think that nobody cared about him enough? All the things, right? Um, but I realized that forgiving myself, as well as asking others for forgiveness. Even if they didn't accept it, even if um, I didn't get the response that I was looking for, this book basically inspired me to challenge myself. And I made amends with people that I never thought I'd ever speak to again. And it truly made me realize how forgiveness is literally the key to love and happiness. And um, I can honestly testify of that and recommend that book to anybody because i don't think we we know what we're harboring until um it's kind of put in our face and it helps you ask yourself am i ready to truly give this give this away you know let lift this this burden that i've been holding for so long and um Because of temple work, I'm able to know that my, I'm going to see my brother again. I'm going to know my father one day. That was one of my questions um, that I always had is, am I ever going to, Never. I'm never going to know my my father. And now I am able to. I, you know, because of the forgiveness that I gave myself and I went through that process, I was able to get a temple recommend and, um, and do work. I mean, I had a temple recommend before, but I, I didn't feel worthy still to go. And, um, now I don't feel like the, the week is right if I'm not there. Um, and I'm even going to be a temple worker starting tomorrow. And I'm so excited because I want to see the, you know, and feel the, those connections between families. Um, There's so much to this story that I, that I've had to leave out because of time, because we're getting short on time, but I will tell you that um, I am writing a book and um, I am going to be sharing the experiences I've had when my my husband did my father and my brother's temple work, um, and how it just was the most amazing experience I've ever could ever describe. And I hope that I'm able to, um, paint that picture in the book that I write. Um, a mentor to me once told me that uh, it was actually the day of my baptism that our family on the other side of the veil can teach us better than they could when they were here on earth. And I remember gasping with astonishment because I just knew immediately that was true. Because as I, like I said, when I came out of the waters of the baptism, I suddenly felt so close to my heavenly father, which also made me feel the same closest to my father that was here on earth that I didn't have time to really have um, that relationship built. I automatically felt it. And, um, The moment I promised to accept Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior, um, all those questions that I had about my dad passing so young and everything that I went through was for a purpose. I realized it now. I had to go through that to become the person I am today and to be able to help people truly and um, know that there's hope and there is light and that God is light and love. And uh, my greater purpose is, uh, is for me to be with him again. And without that knowledge, well, we all struggle. And without remembering that and making that our focus, um President Russell M. Nelson, our living prophet, he in general conference in October talked about thinking celestial. And that was so profound to me because I realized whenever I do struggle, I remind myself that this is just a glimpse this is we have our whole eternity ahead and so this is just a temporary struggle and we will get through this as long as we're thinking uh celestial and that um our goal is to return to our heavenly father um and i say these things in the name of jesus christ amen
0: amen amen Yes, see, this is just a remarkable story. <clears throat> I've heard hundreds of stories, and this is one of the most unique, remarkable stories. And thank you for sharing it. It brings honor to everybody you've shared and talked about on the podcast. <clears throat> um, tell us your dad's name.
1: Dennis.
0: <laughs> your dad and My your brother. My brother was a junior. <laughs> and tell us your husband's name. Mitch. Mitch. Um, I just like to th- visualize names sometimes, but yeah. um, I just love how much Dennis helped you in your life. Dennis, your brother, and and your dad who's gone. They're both gone, and um, I hope people got that at the end of the podcast, that your husband, Mitch, did the temple work. Yes. Or... Yeah your dad and your brother. And, and one of
1: the, a little detail I'll share is that um, he actually did it on Valentine's day, two years from his death. And it was the week before the world shut down and all the temples closed. Wow! And we were able to go into the temple and get his work done. So it was, I, I it was definitely divine right order.
0: <laughs> um, this is just an amazing family love story. and. Um, uh, you know, earlier in the podcast, before you told me that they had told our listeners that Dennis and your dad had had their temple work done, you had found you were finding Christ and the warmth that felt and the world looked different. I'm sure you feel this way that you, I just wondered the role of your dad and and your brother on the other side and other family members to cause that experience for you as you reached out and knew that that was your path forward and the family's path forward. And this was a pivot moment that was so critical for you. And um, I love the warmth. I love the way you said the world looked different. I love your friend, Becca, who's your connection to the church. Becca, if you're listening, you're aware of this story and you could probably go on for hours if you were on the podcast talking about your love of Jesse and what she's done and Um, Thank you for you, Becca, and all the people you represent in the church that have helped been a friend to Jesse and mentored her along the way. I love BYU Pathways, and that's the first time anybody's plugged that.
1: I love it. I'm so grateful. (laughs)
0: I love BYU Pathways, and in some of my church work, we've had people part of BYU Pathways and the doors that opened. I love Elder Sanderson's book um, that you referenced, and this is just a story of reconciliation and healing and hope and breaking the cycle that you were a part of growing up and, um, you know, you're going to be. This is the cycle of, of alcohol and some of the things that were part of your family story. My feeling is that's ending with the, you know, you and your husband and and um, the path that you're walking. Sometimes, listeners, since I grew up in the church and didn't have some of the difficult experiences that good families have with alcohol and um, drug abuse and all the woundedness. I don't realize the contrast between life outside of the church and life outside of Christ and life in the church with Christ and reminds me of my mission about how the the church could radically change people's lives for good. And it's because of Christ and and his atonement to not only take sin out of our life to, to heal woundedness so much of your story is woundedness that's not sin related right. to have your brother die of suicide who you love this is a love story tribute to him um to lose your father for that you were less connected with um but love equally and all the woundedness of just you trying to make your way forward and being a survivor of sexual abuse and um just trying to navigate life and but there's so much woundedness and therapists can help heal us we need and Jesus and I love that you even referenced Elder Anderson's book here you are in the church and you know doing so many things but you recognize there's still healing that needs to take place in you not sin related healing but just healing so that and it's just remarkable your story and I would guess there's listeners that just feel like, okay, you know, there's actually somebody that's sort of lived the life like I've lived and have gone through really dark things. I just heard her name. Your name's Jessie Markowitz. And she just bravely shared some of her story. And I've had those kind of things a part of my life, or that is my life. I'm working to solve drug addiction or alcoholism and um, maybe following the suggestions of Jessie, turning to the Savior. And realizing the bottom of the iceberg isn't a bad person like your brother Dennis, but it's somebody that's learned to cope um, and then get ultimately addicted to um, drugs. And that cost him his life. Um, One of the things that, you know, listeners, I've shared this a couple times when I gave a blessing to a YSA who's a military veteran and knew that innocent people had died in his his service and was pretty torn up about that. Um, the words of the blessing came to my mind that were not my words. I, I said, no one's eternal possibilities have changed because of what happened in Afghanistan. And that to me is the 40,000. That's the highest level of the plan of salvation God's ever taken me to. I'm calling it the 40,000 foot level. They're probably higher You know where your dad and your brother are on the other side of the veil. They have even a bigger perspective. But I think if your dad and your brother, and yes, their mortal possibilities changed. Um, Obviously, they didn't live the the things they probably hoped to live in mortality. But um, we understand as Latter-day Saints because the plan of salvation that their eternal possibilities have not. And the temple work that you've done. And all the people's temple work you're doing on both sides of your family um, keep the doors open for their eternal possibilities. And this mortal experience is a short period of time, um, but it, and it can be really painful and wounding, but it doesn't need to change eternal possibilities. And so my guess is they've taken the learning and the lessons and and um, are so proud of you for opening the temple doors for them and just to make their eternal possibilities possible. Um, And I just sort of think of this wonderful reunion that'll happen a long time from now because you're in your 40s (laughs) um, with your dad, your brother, and others and be able to talk about mortal experiences you all shared together and further healing that will occur in those first-person conversations and they're so proud of you, Jesse. I just i i think of Dennis as you talked about him in such loving, kind. He saved you as a teenager growing up, and even though he, you know, worked through his own difficult things because of a car accident and opiate addiction, you know, you're saving him um, with your love and your temple work and joining the church and this is just a beautiful family love story that um, is a practical application of the plan of salvation and and the savior's atonement. I love that you're writing a book. I love that this podcast might make it possible for more people to reach out to you. We'll put your contact information in the show notes listeners. So um, I think your, your story needs to be heard far and wide within our church and beyond. Um, I'm sure many people have heard it, but I hope that more people hear it. It's just an incredible story. Um, Those are some of my thoughts. Do you have any more thoughts you want to share?
1: Oh, gosh. I just, uh, I will just share one more thought you said about um, when I was nine years old, my uncle, who was my, my father's brother, asked me if I ever saw my father's grave. And, um, I hadn't, I hadn't visited cause I was so little. So he took me, it was on Easter Sunday and on the way home, he looked at me and he said, you have a story and you're going to tell it one day. You're going to write a book. I'll remember it. Like it was yesterday. And I didn't understand what it meant. I mean, I was nine at the time. <laughs> so I was like, okay, but it never left me and I never understood it until now. And obviously it hurts to think that I now know what that story is to write, um, what it entails, but I know that, and I hope and I pray that it will help somebody and inspire people.
0: Um, it is, and it will, um, all oh, listeners, I don't want to end and I kind of started this podcast saying we're not going to do podcasts like this and it's such a complex um, thing for me because this story is so powerful and so important and I'm so glad that it's this platform exists that brave people can you like you can share their stories. So I'll continue to pray about how to manage the podcast going forward and try to be flexible enough though so that stories like Jesse's Markowitz, you know, when I'm aware of them, that they can be on the podcast because um, this is what makes the podcast work is brave people like Jesse and all of you listeners. And I just feel like I'm providing a platform here. Um, just it's an honor to provide this platform. Um, you so, much. so, you know, you just you're, I wish people could see you, Jesse. <laughs> you know. It's just full of light and goodness and hope and um, it's just remarkable, you know, the life you're living and you're careful not to say you're perfect, you're careful not to say, you know, but if you, your younger self could see you right now um, in those dark days, you know, after your brother died and I don't know if your younger self could believe it. And you're starting to be a temple worker tomorrow. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and you're, you know, you've been to the to the St. George Temple and been sealed as a family. And it's just a beautiful story. And it it helps create vision for what's possible for all of us listeners. If we feel like the atonement doesn't apply to us, or our situation is so dark and hopeless that there's no hope. You know, I even if your story doesn't feel exactly like Jesse's, the principles apply. Um, the atonement, Christ has already paid the price. When Jesse reaches out to him for healing, either sin-related or just the pain of mortality, Christ has already paid the price. We're not adding to his burden. It's not like a therapist where if we unload, that we're worried, can our therapist handle this or our friend handle this? It's different with the atonement of Christ. He has paid the price. He loves to heal us. We have to do what Jesse is doing: is reach out, sort of see the woundedness in ourselves, and and ask for healing, and so we can do better in our life. And you're in a place now where you're able to be what I call the wounded healer. Henry Norman coined it. Coined it. You know, a minister's service will not be perceived as authentic unless it comes from a heart wounded by the suffering about which he or she speaks. The great illusion of leadership is to think others can be led to the desert by someone who's never been there. My friend Jake Watts gave me that back when we started the podcast in 2018. It's just stuck with me, but you are a wounded healer, Jesse. And part of that is your willingness to be open about your own story and be brave, vulnerable. And then people know, okay, you know, she gets it. (laughs) And if she has been able to use the atonement in her life, in a way, then maybe I can too. And maybe I'm becoming a member of a church or staying in the church and the role of the temple and its ability to bind families together applies to me. So you're a remarkable, courageous woman. I want to give you a hug through the Zoom, but that Zoom doesn't allow that technology yet, listeners. <laughs> Anything else you'd like to share, Jesse?
1: Yeah, a thought just went through my brain that when you were talking about the atonement, um, I think the hardest thing in life at least that I've experienced is feeling that nobody understands and the truth is is nobody does nobody can really understand every thought feeling emotion physical but Jesus does and he understands to a level that we can't even comprehend and it I remember when I when I truly grasped what he went through for us it humbilized me. It all that pain and suffering that I felt like I was harboring, it I almost felt like this is nothing. Like he went through what I've gone through, which I felt like I was being crushed and squeezed like a, a grape, you know, by every poor like he was. And he felt that times the world. And so it, it just makes us realize, I hope that you're not alone and it, it you want your spouse to understand, you want your, you know, the closest people. And they try to understand to the best they can, but they don't, they'll never understand completely, but Jesus does. And that gives us the strength through whatever we're going through and I just want to encourage listeners that no matter what you're going through, he feels it, he hears it, he, everything that you are experiencing in your mind, body and soul, he knows exactly what you're going through and he is enduring it with you. And if you let him, he will take that yoke and help lift that burden so you can endure and you can get through this time because there is a light and that light is him and our heavenly father but we have to submit to that reality i think the hardest thing that um we go through is trying to do what they do and what Christ was put on this earth to do. We try to be the, our own savior. We try to be other people's savior and it's absolutely impossible. <laughs> and I, honestly, now that I know that I look back and say, why did I ever try to do, to take on those things? Like, cause it feels so freeing. Like the word freeing is the only way I can explain it. Just like when they talk about change being lifted off your body and, and the You feel light as a feather. That's what Christ does. So please lean into him because his arms are always open for you.
0: It's just so powerful. Thank you, Jesse. Um, If your husband, Mitch, is listening, you know, thank you, Mitch. You had the courage to, you're Jewish, your wife's um, investigating a Christian religion. Um, You had the courage to sort of navigate this and be willing to um, investigate the same religion and then join the same church. And I just, this thought that you did the temple work for Jesse's dad, Jesse's brother, and the conversations you're going to have in the next life about that just is so moving to me. And this is just a beautiful family love story and helps all of us so Jesse Markowitz thank you for being on the podcast thank you for being you and your courage to share your story and I'm just deeply moved and this is Richard Osley your host signing off on another episode of listen learn and love